The Defense Department is getting around to implementing something Congress ordered back in 2017, namely a new definition of and ways to deal with commercial items. In other words, there's a new proposed procurement rule you need to know about. Joining me in studio with what this is all about, Holland and Knight partner and procurement attorney Eric Crucius. Eric, good to have you back. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So this definition of commercial items from the 2017 NDAA, and now they're getting around to the rule. What is the rule all about? What does it say? Well, first, it's, it's, it is pretty fascinating to see there was a really a hold on new regulations um, that lasted for a little while based on the two-for-one executive order. But we're really seeing kind of a waterfall of new regulations now. Uh, the, the federal bureaucracy is catching up to all the initiatives that Congress told them to do over the last three or four years, and this is one of them. So um, the biggest change that we see with this one is there's a lot more flexibility as far as what is defined as a commercial item, which will help especially um, non-traditional contractors. So right now, contractors often have a difficult time selling to private industry and to the government at the same time if they're using, if they're manufacturing something, because a lot of times there are co-mingled supplies that go into an end product. Well, this uh, new rule helps clarify that when you have co-mingled products that are being put into a, to something else, and it's under $10,000, that could be counted as a commercial item. So that means, and also the end item can be a commercial item, even if it's not put into something else. A commercial item commingled in a single procurement, that could be something that is unique to DOD combined with something that anyone might be buying. Exactly, exactly. So it, it really gives a lot of flexibility for um, contractors who just don't make stuff for DOD to also, um, um, I guess, simplify their supply chain and allow them to take, uh, to take products in without having to track them um, as commercial. And what is the practical effect of this for the Defense Department as a buyer? And, and then we'll talk about what it means for suppliers. Right. So, um, I mean, this goes back to the Section 809 panel, um, things that they have, uh, initiatives that ha they have been pushing to make things more accessible um, for DOD and for suppliers. And for DOD itself, um, this kind of goes a little bit against the grain because DOD is more up in tracking um, counterfeit parts and things like that. So they want contractors to better control their supply chain. And this is kind of something that flies against that a little bit, but it's in line with what the NDAA said. So it may not allow DOD to track a contractor's supply chain quite as well, but I think that the calculus is that the risk is very low when you have a, an item that is commercial and it's under $10,000. But it is aimed at helping DOD buy from non-traditional vendors, in other words. Exactly, exactly. And opening up those markets to DOD so DOD can be more competitive with other countries, actually. So something could be weird, but if it's already commercially established by that non-traditional supplier, say, I'm, I keep going, using this example because everybody else does, drone swarming software that's right. being used by some crop surveyor or something. I'm making this up. But even though it's an unusual item, it's already out there, and therefore it could, could be considered commercial for DOD purposes. Exactly. And that, that opens up a whole marketplace for DOD and allows them to allows them the flexibility to, to buy things that they need to buy in a timely manner. Okay, and what's the status of the rule at this point? So um, the rule is uh, scheduled to take effect um, shortly. I don't, it's not effective immediately. It may have been within the last week or so. So um, I don't know the exact date, but it's, it's either happened already recently or it's about to happen. All right, and so just to summarize it one more time, if something is combined with a, non, with a DOD exclusive item, it can still be considered commercial if the total price is less than $10,000? 
Yeah. So if it's if it's a supply that you're buying and you don't segregate it between um, uh, commercial destined for commercial customers and destined for DoD, it's commingled is the word that they use. Then it's it can be considered a commercial item. So if it's not modified, say for DoD, correct. Correct. So that means DoD's got to be careful to say don't modify it for us. Right. Yeah, then it, that throws it out of the definition of commercial item for sure. And basically, it'll speed up the acquisition of those types of things. Right. Got it. Okay, we're speaking with Eric Crucius, a partner at the law firm Holland and Knight. And while we have you, there's also the issue of the new extended runway, as they put it, or one runway extension for small businesses. I guess it extends from three to five years, the average revenue under which they can be construed as a small business. What, again, what was the genesis of that and what difference does it really make? So there was a report that came out actually later, late this summer about how mid-sized, mid-tier businesses are really having trouble competing in the government contracts marketplace. Uh, congratulations, you've graduated from being a small business and you're thrown to the wolves with the really large multi-billion dollar businesses and you just can't compete. So um, Congress has recognized that this is a problem. And um, what this does is the Small Business Runway Extension Act allows um, small businesses or businesses of any size to look back five years of receipts instead of three years. So if you have a really good year, uh, a recent year, you're not going to be thrown to the wolf, so to speak. You can look back for five years and average those revenues together. So that allows small businesses to stay small longer. And there'll, there'll be some mid, mid-sized businesses that are now small again um, as of January 6, 2020, when this takes effect. So um, really, um, really good, good sea change um, that allows more flexibility for these small businesses to plan and to to allow themselves to stay smaller longer and take advantage of those set-asides. And what types of proving is incumbent on these companies to be able to self, to attest to themselves that they're still small? Right. So oftentimes it's a self-certification process. But um, if there is some kind of challenge, um, the SBA will look at tax returns and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously if a small business certifies as themselves as small and they're when they're going after an opportunity and they're not, there's False Claims Act and things like that that can, that if they know that what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, so just don't make it up. You mean, you've got right. to prove it at some point. Right. And is there any study or anyone know how many companies might be in, affected by this? They, um, the, when they were writing the regulations, there were estimates uh, as far as how many companies would be impacted. It's in the thousands, though. Um, so there'll be uh, quite a few companies that'll be, na- be able to say small for longer, or some that are not small now that'll That'll go descend back to small. The downside, of course, of this is that if you have a, a business that is not doing as well and, and revenues are declining, and you have to go back five years, they're bigger or longer. But um, but uh, they recognize that in the final rule and as are allowing companies to pick the three or five years for the next two years. So up until January 6, twenty twenty two, companies can decide whether they want to go by three years or five years. Interesting. So. I guess this was done by Congress at the behest of industry, but on the other hand, I can see where it could be, in a practical sense, make things easier for the government if they like a contractor and they like the ease of doing business and hiring that contractor because they are small, then they could say, hey, listen, could you look at your two years prior, and if you're still small, baby, we can keep going. Right, right. Uh, smaller or longer, and that's that's... It allows a little bit more stability in the marketplace because you have companies who who succeed and do the right thing and and get a lot of contracts and all of a sudden they're not small anymore and they lose a lot of their customers who are looking for set aside to give out set aside contracts. 
Eric Crucius is a partner at the law firm Holland & Knight. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.